scripture reading from today comes from 2 Kings 2, 1 through 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came to, out to Elijah and said to him, Elisha, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Whew, that's a mouthful. Thanks, Sid. Well done. Uh, kind of a strange story, isn't it? Uh, well, again, welcome. So glad that you're, you're here with us. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to, good to be together. Uh, good to, to spend this time together. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll look at these, these uh, words together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And yet for many of us, Lord, I know we come with, with hearts heavy and distracted. We're distracted by a busy week, at least many, many of us, and the return of school and all that that means. Uh, we're weighed down by our own struggles, pains, frustrations, and sin. And God, we want to, to pray this morning also in the aftermath of so much pain in Charlottesville, uh, symptomatic of so much pain in our country, we are heartbroken that we continue to live in a world of so much hatred and violence and suffering. Convict us of our sin. Help us stand with the marginalized and please give comfort to the hurting. Lord, let your church be different. Let us be different. Let us be a voice of, of love, patience, justice, and reconciliation. Let us be the hope that you've called us to be. Only you can do that, Lord Jesus, and so we ask you to. And now as we open your word today, give us hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
everybody's story ends. I mean, at least, you know, this chapter of it or whatever, like everybody ends. Like you will end, I will end, Ahab and Elijah both end. But how they end? Man. I mean, if you're here with us last week, or if you weren't, let me catch you up a little bit. Uh, we've been looking at the lives of both Ahab and Elijah uh, throughout the summer. And, and last week, I mean, for Ahab and Jezebel, it was the last straw. I mean, they had at this point, I mean, they completely led God's people astray uh, into things like child sacrifice and ritual prostitution and, and terrible oppression of God's people and those, those around them. And, and then last week was, I mean, it was the last straw. Ahab wanted a little vegetable garden. And so he killed one of, the, one of the remaining good guys in the land so that he could take his property. And it's at that moment when God is like, yeah, we're done. We're, we're done. And, and I mean, if you've been with us, like you know, like God has given Ahab so many chances, like a ridiculous amount of opportunities to turn around and come to the, to, to the true God. But at this point, God's like, Nope. Ahab, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be eaten by dogs. That's what he says. Um, like, if God ever says that to you, like, that's, that's bad, right? I mean, this is, this is God's judgment in the extreme. And it happens just as God said it would. Ahab and Jezebel, their story ends eaten by wild dogs. It's kind of satisfying, actually. Um, I mean, who needs Game of Thrones when you have the Old Testament, right? But now we come to Elijah's end. And, and Elijah, he's God's man, his faithful one. He's far from perfect. We've, we've seen that, and yet he has served Yahweh, the true God, the God of Israel, our God. He has served him faithfully. How will his story end? I mean, every story comes to an end, right? You and I both, young, old, good, bad, it's, it's going to end. You know, in 12 years as a pastor, I've done lots of funerals, um, but only, only five for people who, who attended our, our church family. Five in, in 12 years. Three of them were in the last six months. There's another one here later this afternoon today. And some of us sitting here this morning are so much closer than we think. The older I get, the more I think about it. Will it have mattered? What will I regret at the end? Will my family still love me? How much will I have wasted Will any of it have, have counted for anything? And let me, let me just say, you are never too young to start asking those questions, and you are never too old to ask them again. How will my story end? Eaten by wild dogs? Hmm, hope not. Or, or taken express direct in a fiery chariot, a, a whirlwind, right up into heaven, like Elijah? Eh, probably not that either. And yet, regardless, there are three lessons I need to learn as we look at Elijah's end today. 
If you, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings. And, and today does mark the end of our, of our series. Uh, Ahab is dead. Jezebel, she's going to be dead soon. Um, it's heading that direction. And, and Elijah, he's, he's done. And we've, we've spent the last eight weeks with them. And, and we've seen that, you know, Elijah, he struggled to trust. He struggled to hope. He, he struggled to believe. And yet, even so, he remains, he remains faithful. And he knows his end is coming. I know we heard this story read. Uh, let me, let's sort of re-enter it uh, together and try to picture what's going on in this, this final narrative of Elijah's life. And Elijah has been our focus throughout this time, but now we see even more clearly this, this other guy, Elisha. Uh, he's sort of become the, the junior prophet. He's like Elijah's understudy. And, and we're told right away in verse 1, Everything that's going to happen, essentially. Which is such a, it's a strange way to tell a story, right? Like to let it all out of the bag and then tell how it happens. But that's how the narrator chooses to write it. In verse 1, it says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. Oh, so that's what's going to happen. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, now they're on this, this strange journey together. And every stop, Elijah tells Elisha, You wait here. Stop. Don't come with. Stay behind. And, and every time, Elisha refuses. And, and so they go together from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan, which all probably seems super random to us. Uh, and yet all these places are reminiscent of the first time Israel entered into the promised land. The, the time that they were supposed to rid the land of all of its idolatry and evils. It's, it's sort of like God reminding them of what could have been and what could be again. A second chance, if, if only. Hmm. There's something symbolic here happening, reminding them of, of why they're in the mess they're in today. But in this story, these cities are, for lack of better words, still pagan strongholds. They're places of, of Israel's rebellion. This is like, this is still Ahab and Jezebel's territory, it's their turf. And yet even so, as the narrator describes it, at every stop, all of these sons of the prophets, like they, keep, they keep coming out, right? To see Elijah, they're, they're everywhere. And so twice they come out and they ask Elisha, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And Elisha said, yeah, I know. Shh, keep it quiet. I'm so fascinated by this. I mean, think about it. already in the story, like the narrator knows what's going to happen. He's already told us. Like all these sons of the prophets, they all know what's going to happen. Elisha knows. And even, even Elijah, look at verse 9. When they had crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And does anybody else find that strange? Like you and I, we almost never know when the end is coming. And yet everybody in this story, it's as, as clear as it could possibly be. They all know what's going to happen. And here's the first thing I need to remember. Because I don't, I don't know how or when I'm going to end. But someone does. God knows how and when it's going to end. And maybe, maybe that sounds morbid to you. Um, but I find it strangely comforting that God knows. 
Because, I'll, I mean, I'll admit it, like, death, that scares me. Like, every bit of it frightens me. There's, there's no, no wonder we live in such denial of the fact or, or why we hate talking about it, why some of us even here, right, in this moment, you're just sort of writhing inside because, like, oh, it's just, I don't want to think about it. We don't, we, we don't want to acknowledge I don't like acknowledging the fact that I am going to die. But aren't you at least a little bit glad that God already knows? I mean, like, nobody ever enters eternity. You know, the first thing they hear from God is, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> what bear, right? Can you imagine God saying that? No, I was like... I mean, the reality is I could die... 50 years or 50 seconds from now. And neither would surprise God. Yeah. Like, how does, that, how does that make you feel? Job, also in the Old Testament, once said, a person's days are determined. You, God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Remind, reminds me a bit of the... Uh, uh, recently uh, Pulitzer Prize winning novel, um, All the Light We Cannot See. It's set in World War II. It's kind of told from the perspective of this, this blind girl. It's, it's a beautiful little story. And, and at one point, the, the narrator uh, describes this, this soldier, this character, and, and what he would have been. Uh, and, and the way it's, it's written that this, this, bar, this person would have been a barber had he not already been scheduled to die on the beaches of Normandy is how it says it. When I read that, it like kind of punched me in the face a little bit. I mean, it's just a little too stark, right? This, this image that there, there is somewhere on some divine schedule book, I have an appointment with death for which I can show up neither late nor early. Or another little story, The Book Thief. It's a great little novel on basically about death, also in World War II. The author there writes a small fact, you are going to die. Does this worry you? Yeah, of course it does. It worries all of us. And so let me just ask, are you living with the end in mind? I mean, knowing that this is coming, knowing that God knows how and when, are, are we living our lives in light of that? Your priorities, your decisions, your relationships, knowing that the clock is ticking and you only have so long left. The psalmist prays, and I've begun praying this often a few years back. It's in Psalm 90. He simply says, teach us to number our days. Why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. If you want to live a wise life, a good life, then number your days. Remember that they will end and trust that God already knows. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing. Back to the, back to the story. If you were here uh, a couple weeks ago, if you've been through this series with us, you might remember that a few weeks back, Elijah was, was terribly alone. I mean, in, in despair. I mean, part of that was he was hiding out in a cave by himself. I mean, that's part of the problem. Uh, but he felt convinced, like, I'm the only one fighting. God, I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one doing anything for your side. Like, he's just completely isolated. And, and Elijah lived a hard and lonely life. And yet, what jumps out at me here 
It's their people coming out of the woodwork for Elijah. I mean, not only does, did God give Elijah a buddy, and Elisha, he refuses to leave his side. I mean, you have all these sons of the prophets from Bethel and Jericho of all places. Like those, those towns in that day, these are like the worst of the worst. And yet even there, God still has people. Imagine what this must have meant to Elijah as he knowingly walks to his end. The presence of a friend, seeing the others. I mean, how it must have bolstered his faith. And more than that, it had to remind Elijah that God, that God is still with him. That he hasn't been left alone. And we need the same. At least, at least I do. And you just, you can't miss it. Even when it comes to the end, God hasn't left us alone. He hasn't left you alone. I realize you might feel alone. And I also know that I'm not sure there's a much worse feeling than loneliness. But if you are with him, he will never leave you alone. Whenever I... Whenever I do a funeral, I'm always curious about two things, particularly when I didn't know the person and don't already have kind of some of the background, but two things in particular. I just always want to know, like, first of all, did this, did this person trust Jesus? Like, was, was God truly with them at the end? Did, did they know his, his comfort and hope, even in the midst of fear and the mess that death can often be? Were, were they rooted there? Were they with God in the end? And the second question I always, I always want to know is, were they in, in good relationship with the people closest to them? Man, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Like their, their family and, and close friends. I mean, essentially what I want to know in that, in that moment is, is were, did they die surrounded by love or did they die alone? And I remember one, I've done funerals for both. And I remember one time in particular, several years ago, uh, sitting down with um, a family to prepare the service uh, for one of their family members. And it was like 30 seconds in, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, that it became absolutely clear that nobody there liked her. Nobody. Like, these are, the, these are the closest people in this person's life, and frankly, it seemed like they were just sort of, you know, relieved. Doesn't that break your heart? And yet, how, how quickly... We push people away. How easy it is to live isolated or to allow broken relationships to fester, to keep those things untended in our lives. But not, not God's people. That can't be us. Can it? We can't do that. We, we can't live that way. And, and thank God we don't have to end that way. Not only does God himself promise to never leave us. I mean, it's why the psalmist, like, he also says, and this is such a strange verse to me, but listen to what it says. It's, also, it's beautiful. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. I mean, death is the enemy, and it is ugly, and yet God is there. He sees, and he welcomes those who are his into wholeness. But, but not, on, not only that, we have, we have his people together, his community, his family. I mean, Elijah, he didn't, he didn't know these other sons of the prophets. Like, he didn't even know they exist. And, and you may not know the people sitting around you. And yet, like, we're, we're family. We're, we're together. We're, we're, not, we're not alone. 
And not only that, I mean, not only does God give us his presence, not only does God give us a community of people around us, but he also, through his spirit, he actually empowers us to live well with one another, to forgive each other, to be patient and kind and full of grace so that none of us has to die alone. Not really. Maybe just try this. I know it's cheesy, cliched, whatever. Like if you knew, if you knew today was your last, what would you do? Who would you forgive? Whose forgiveness would you pursue? What conversation would you have? What have you left undone that you would not want to leave with it undone? What are the things that would have to happen? What's, what's stopping us? When the end comes, you don't have to be alone. Okay, now it's time for the story to get weird. I mean, seriously, if you thought it was weird up to this point. Because, like, Elijah doesn't actually die. I, that, I mean, like, even, he just sort of floats away. Like, even by Bible standards, this story is bizarre, right? And so, so picture what happens. I mean, Elijah, he parts the Jordan River. Again, this is reminiscent of them entering into the promised land and everything that they've given up because of their, their disobedience and faithlessness towards God. So they part the, he parts the, the waters, they walk through, and then, then Elisha, the, the junior prophet, asks Elijah, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Which almost sounds like a, hey, now that you're going, can I just like take over and see be awesome and make me bigger and stronger? I mean, it almost sounds like he's just kind of spitting on his grave, like that doesn't really exist, right? That's not, that's not what's happening here. In fact, really, probably what's going on, this is sort of a request for inheritance. It's more like he's saying, Elijah, let me, let me replace you when you're gone. Let me, be, let me be counted worthy of taking up this work that you've been a part of. Let me, let me take your place. And so in verse 11 then, as they went and on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. It's probably not what I would have yelled. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I would have yelled. Um, if I'd seen that. Uh, and he, he saw him no more. Again, I know. Super weird. And I, I can't tell you why exactly he gets sort of just taken express direct right up into heaven. I, I, don't, know, I don't understand it. I, and I, I don't know how one gets a, you know, chariot from God to, to ride around on. I don't, it sounds great, but I don't know, okay? Those are the questions we often come to with a story like this, but that's not the point of the story. Like the big thing that the narrator, that God is, is wanting to communicate with this, and this is really the whole point of the story. And frankly, if, if you take one thing with you this morning, I hope it's this. God wants his people to know. He wants us to know. God's work will not end with you. It does not end with Elijah, and it will not end with you. That's what, that's what this story is about. You can even just locate it. I mean, in the book of Kings, we're smack in the middle of it. I mean, in our Bibles, it says 1 Kings, 2 Kings, but that's, I mean, that we've added that. Like, it's one book, and we're like, we're just in the middle the first thing out of Elisha's mouth, like right after this, this event, after he cries out in, in terror, 
What does he say? Verse 14. This is really important. This shows us what's happening here. He says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I mean, like, is this, is this it, God? Elijah's gone. Are you done with us? Have you given up? Like, have you, have you ended your people? But God answers this question with another miracle. And Elisha does get a, a double portion. And if we were to continue on in, in 2 Kings, we would see that he, he does twice as many awesome things as Elijah did. The author wants us to see Elijah is done, but God is not. And you and I will also end, but God's plan won't. I mean, your kids, you know, all the work we put into to raising our kids and all the, the worry and stress and sleepless nights and all of that, we pour in knowing they're going to leave. Like our, our influence is, is going to dwindle and we think, man, I have this much time for God to work in my kid's life. We forget that no, God's got decades. He's got a plan way bigger than you and I can possibly muster. Or maybe, maybe you look at your, your business or the place where you work and you think, you think simply about the next six weeks and sometimes you have to do that, but yet are you, are you planning for the future to, to give whatever it is away that you've built to, to, to do something that will, will outlast you? Or even as I think about this church, I hope to spend my life here. Man, I sure hope it outlasts us. Don't you? Maybe you think about the people you've been sharing your faith with, longing for them to meet Jesus, or the, or the causes that you, you invest your life in, and you, you long to see God do something and intervene and, and make, it, make a difference, of course. One day, you're going to be removed from the equation. God won't. And just as he's showing Israel, yeah, it's, it's too bad, Elijah's gone. But my plan isn't. And he's not finished with us either. Friends, that, that gives me hope. The world does not rest on us. God's redemption doesn't end here. That God is still at work in his world. And if that's true, are we living for that which outlasts us? Are we investing in, in our money and, and time and work and love on things that will be here long after we're gone? And I can tell you, for me, so often my focus doesn't go any further than the next five minutes for a cause no greater than my own selfishness. And yet here, God invites all of us to, to live for something so much, so much bigger, so much more satisfying. As a family, for example, uh, we've been memorizing together the New City Catechism. Now, there's a free app for this if you're curious. You can go to the website, New City Catechism. It's, it's, it's really, really good. We've really, really enjoyed it together. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar, catechism, it's sort of an old way of uh, teaching kids basic theology. Not just kids, but really anybody, right? Basic, basic theology. There's 52 questions in this one. Uh, we're on number nine, so we got, we got our work cut out for us. So far, so far we like it. It's been really, really, really good. But the first question is worth all of it, frankly. Um, I love this first question. Frankly, if I can just remember this one, and if my kids can just build their lives here, man, the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? What's our only hope? 
Question number one, what is our only hope in life and death? It's not, it's not money, it's not sex, it's not power, it's not success. It's not the things that I can control. It's not me being able to check off my bucket list that keeps getting longer and longer. It's not, it's not trying to manage my own expectations and, and make things work out just as I want them to. And it's not, it's not even me trying to finish God's plan for him as if he's waiting on pins and needles for us to do it all. What is my only hope in life and death? that we are not our own, but belong to God. That's it. That I, I don't belong to me. My family doesn't belong to me. My stuff, my time, my energy, it's not, it's not mine. It's his. And he's going to do better things with it than I could anyway. And I am, I am so relieved his work does not end with me. Everything else ends. You will end. I will end. And frankly, what we see here smack in the middle of the story, it's, it's really not enough to give us that much hope, is it? I mean, you know, it's like, well, good for Elijah, you know. What about the rest of us? One day someone better than Elijah would come. One who has neither beginning nor end. Who promises to put an end to all of our weight, all of our pain, all of our sin, who even promises to, to put an end to our end, to, to put an end to, to death itself. You see, Elijah wasn't enough to stand in the gap for Israel. Elisha wouldn't be enough. Jeremiah, Isaiah, John the Baptist. There's only one who can stand in the gap between death and life and offer us a way through the one who took upon all of our sins upon the cross for us, who, who came out of the ground alive in order to make us whole and right. And it's because of Jesus, it's okay that our end is coming. For he, know, he knows how and when. And it's not really the end anyway. He's made, way, made a way through for us. I don't, I don't have to be so afraid anymore. And it's, it's okay because, because of Jesus. You never have to be alone. He was alone for you on the cross, abandoned because of our sins, and he felt the weight of loneliness that you and I never have to experience that. Not, not if we're with him, we will, we will never be alone. And because of Jesus, we can trust his work will outlast us. And we can spend our lives on things bigger than us because we know he'll make it right. For we are not our own, but belong to God. Dana Halstead believed that. Most of you have no idea who I'm talking about. That's okay. I don't think he'd mind. Most of us will be forgotten as well. Um, it's his funeral that's here later on today at 2. And even, even though I'm sure he had no idea what it might look like, Dana trusted that God's work could outlast him. Uh, Dana was a pastor. Uh, his wife, uh, Mary Kay, she's about the sweetest lady you'll, you'll ever meet. Um, Throughout, throughout his life, Dana planted four churches throughout the Kansas City area. Uh, and after, after they retired uh, 10, 12 years ago, um, they started attending here with us in Olathe. Uh, two and a half years ago, we sent them out with 120 others to start our newest campus, our Shawnee Mission Campus. And so they've been there, uh, worshiping there ever, ever since. But the last church Dana started as a pastor was in Olathe. Uh, it was called Heritage Community Church. It's a country church, um, but the suburbs showed up. 
And it was a hard adjustment, and they, they quickly dwindled. And it, be, it became evident that, that, that they were going to have to close their doors. I just can't imagine that, right? Nearing, nearing retirement and having been a part of four church plants. and I mean, this was not the success that they'd hoped for. I can't imagine how hard it would be to, to plant a church, to give everything to, to make it happen. And, and, and for him, like really everything, he planted a church, he literally built the building as well. Like he did most of the work himself or contracted it out. And then to watch it close its doors. But God wasn't done. Friends, that church is this church. Here. We didn't build this. Not, not this part of the building or, or these 10 acres that we have. This wasn't ours. We had no right to it. But in 2006, Dana and the small struggling church that was left, they, they gave it to us. And we have been the recipients of that. And really, really not just here, and we're telling this story at all of our campuses today because this is, this is the moment that pushed us into being multi-site. I mean, would we ever have come out here to Olathe? And if we hadn't done that, would we ever have gone downtown or to Brookside or to Shawnee Mission? That Dana, without even knowing it, pushed us forward. And frankly, like if Christ community has meant anything to you at all, like if, if you've benefited at all, if, if God has met you here, and I know for, for many of you, some of you have, you've met Jesus here, your lives have been changed. I mean, if that describes you, like it describes me, then you and I owe a debt of gratitude to a man we will likely forget who nevertheless believed that God's work could outlast him. I praise God for Dana Halstead. Who will praise God for us? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for Dana. I'm thankful for his, his heritage, for his faith. God, I'm so thankful for the ways in which you called us to partner together for the work that you're doing in our city. God, I pray you'd be with Mary Kay and uh, with his family and close friends, be with the service later on today. God, may we celebrate even as we mourn. God, thank you that we have benefited from that faith. God, I know my life has been changed by this place, and I'm so grateful. God, I pray that we would look at, at Dana, look at Elijah, but more than that, Lord Jesus, may we look to you as the one who has made a way through, who has given us hope in the midst of any, any trial or struggle, any amount of despair or sin, and that you've given a way through so that the end isn't really the end, and that we can trust you with all things. And so, God, I pray that together we would proclaim as a church that our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong to you. Amen. Amen. Well, good, and thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you have questions about what, what it looks like or how it is that we uh, continue to, to have this hope uh, in the midst of a world so broken and with us being so broken and our end coming, how do we have hope? Uh, talk to me, talk to one of us. We'd love to be able to chat with you what that looks like, why we continue to gather around that hope here in this space. Well, just a quick uh, sort of where we're going now for the next few weeks. That's the end of a series. And so uh, next week, we are going to start a new series, a different kind of series for us. It's going to be a challenging one uh, for us as teachers and probably for, for all of us. Uh, but we're going to kind of step back and knowing that 
uh, our lives are stories, right? We're living these stories out. And yet at the same time, so much of those stories are already sort of written for us by default, uh, simply because of the culture in which we live and the baseline assumptions which we grab onto. Uh, there's a lot that's good about this, and there's a lot that we just, we live and embrace and assume uh, that may or may not be, be true, simply because this is what it looks like to be a 21st century American. Um, and so we're going to attempt, I mean, we're kind of like, you know, fish, fish in, in the water there. We don't really see what's going on around us. We're going to try to like, you know, step out of the, the bowl for seven weeks, uh, hopefully not suffocate, um, but be able to look back and like, what are those baseline assumptions and how, how do our expectations of reality, of what life is about, what it should be about, um, how, how does that affect the story that we're living? Because we want to live the best story, right? The, the right story. I will be in uh, the first couple chapters of Genesis because that, that lays it out for us. That tells us what reality really is and who we really are and who God is and what that looks like for us. So I hope you'll join us again. It'll be a challenge. Uh, pray for us. Pray uh, for our, us as a church as we enter into this. Uh, but we're really, really excited about it. Well, as we end our time together, I want to read those words again from Psalm 90. Uh, and so as you go uh, this morning, as you enter into all of your places of calling, uh, God has put you in your, your work, in your home, in your school, uh, may this prayer be our prayer, and may God come, come through on it for us. And so hear these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom would you please satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Amen. Go in peace.